Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Jackie Mitchell. This is where we pick the best brains in the business world and you, the listener, feel like you are eavesdropping on a really interesting coffee conversation to give you and your business the inside edge. We take a look into the business mindsets of leaders and brands and probe into how they think, feel, learn, manage teams and themselves. We love sharing the knowledge and serve brain food to keep your business mind healthy. To continue the conversation, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. So, while our first guest settles in, orders their coffee, grab yourself one and we'll be right back after this. Welcome back. Our next guest is a former Washington DC news correspondent, humanitarian aid worker and communications specialist. She was a TV news reporter covering major news events for Al Jazeera English, the Pentagon Channel, the Seven Network and Reuters, including the US presidential election and Hurricane Katrina. She then became a media officer for an international aid organisation. And then she was hired to serve as Senior Communication Director for the largest grassroots advocacy program or movement in the world. She now heads up Career CEO, one of the fastest growing executive training programs in Australia. She's a regular commentator for the Sydney Morning Herald, Sky Business News and her new book, Future Fit, How to Stay Relevant and Competitive in the Future of Work. I've been looking forward to chatting today. Welcome, Andrea Clark. Thanks, Jackie. That all sounds very serious, doesn't it? It does. Well, you know, I, I was looking at it and go, how do I edit this? And it, I just think it's too good not to talk about, you know. Oh, um, thanks. That's kind. Yeah. No, well, I think it's true. And, and I think in Australia particularly, uh, and with your international experience, I don't know if you'll agree or disagree, but Australian business people aren't so great at telling everyone the, the facts. You know, they think it's, you know, tall poppy or big noting themselves mm. or something. And I think, look, if you've got the runs on the board, share it. Mm. Thank you. I do think it's important when when you're when you've got things that are a matter of fact over opinion. I do think it's important to share because you know that value is it's important in the context of you know what we're always talking about, whether that be the value we bring to a business or the value that we bring to you know running us uh, running our own operation. Yeah, and I actually read your book, Uh, and I read most books, but I don't read all of them to be honest, because I you know like I'd sort of it's a bit. I sort of flick through and I read bits of it and I go, yeah, I know that bit and move on and all that sort of stuff. But I actually got caught in yours and I thought to myself, what was it about this? Because I do read a lot. I get sent a lot of these business books. What was about yours that was different? And uh, as a marketer, I'm always looking for that point of difference. And I loved how you actually shared, you told a story. Uh, And it wasn't like reading a textbook, which I read a lot of as well, uh, which can be very dry. But you actually shared your story and then linked that back to how, you know, you could improve that in your work or this is the skill you need or these skills were transferable. So congratulations. I thought it was wonderful. Have you won any business awards yet? Because I've got a feeling that some might be on on their way. You're so kind, and I really appreciate your your words and your feedback. I think it's really important to put a narrative around anything that we're trying to communicate because we have a greater chance of it having impact with the audience. So no, I haven't. I have not won any awards on this on this one yet, but I have entered. Um, I have entered two book awards, and I'm. It's just so lovely to be able to do that. So you know, I have yet to understand what the outcome of those are. They're a few weeks away, I think. Yeah, well, uh, I've spoken to two futurists today and it it sort of made me a little bit sort of, 
overconfident with me being a futurist, you know, and I thought to myself, and I kept, I, I was in the interview, I could feel myself, I could feel it, I could hear myself say, I think the future is this, and I'm thinking, come on, Jackie, you're not a futurist, but I'm going to predict that it will get some awards, so it was really great. So, yeah. future fit, how to stay relevant and competitive in the future of work, mm-hmm. uh, and it was, and there were some elements that I, that really stood out to me, Andrew, and I just wanted to... <laughs> touch on them um one thing that uh i did i actually had a laugh out loud moment uh and it was about your resting bitch face i thought that was fabulous because it was about knowing who you are and knowing your superpower just tell us a little bit about that well this is about knowing and and understanding the value of our reputation capital across the marketplace in which we're active and and what i meant about that particular story was you know i had one perception of how I was I was being perceived in you know in the marketplace and that happened to be a reference to a LinkedIn photograph that I had as my headshot and when I and I guess it was a fairly serious looking headshot and when I met up with someone in a cafe um, for a, obviously a business related meeting the first thing they said to me was look you know I don't mean to be rude but you're a lot friendlier in person than I was expecting. And that was a really important moment for me because it was only then that I realised the photograph I'd had as a, as a headshot, um, you know, was was too assertive and wasn't really, you know, uh, an equal um, sort of representation of what I am like in person. So, you know, that's a very small part of our overall sort of personal brand and reputation capital, but it's really important to know what are the signals that I'm sending through my online presence and does that match up? with what I'm like in person because ideally we want that to be on equal ground. Yeah, and you also use that to your advantage in the story when you were in Baghdad, I think it was, uh, when you said you used your best resting bitch face to actually to express that you were not happy or trying to get something, or, or trying to look tough, I think you were trying to be. Yeah, that's right. It was at the moment that I was coming through customs in the Baghdad airport and I engaged my resting bitch face <laughs> you know, as a defence mechanism because it was an incredibly serious situation and, you know, I wanted to look like I was tough enough to get through the airport, you know, without anyone messing with me and, and you know, sort of give that impression off. So that was that was sort of the relevance of that particular yeah, story. And look, yeah, and I really like that, that, that self-awareness and using your weapons and leading on to personal branding. I mean, you, you do spend a lot of time on that. Uh, and I think that was really refreshing uh, to hear because it's an area that, that I am particularly fond of. Yeah, uh, and you yeah. talk about distilling who you are if you were to own a word and or as I called the, the jus of you. I think I was inspired Love after that. MasterChef. But, uh, but sort of understanding, you know, who is what values do you have? But not only about you, it's about what's relevant to your customers. So it's mm. that inside-out, outside-in thinking. So I really enjoyed that and I really liked the candid, credible and conversational as three sort of areas mm. that you tick. You tick the, is it candid tick? Is it credible tick? Is it conversational tick? How did you get to those three? I love that you described that as a view of you. I love that. It's really terrific. And this is such an important part of understanding our value you know, in our community. And what I love about this is it's such a great opportunity for all of us to take control of of, you know, of how we want to be remembered in the workplace and what we bring, the value that we bring to the workplace. So um, for me, this is about understanding how we're truly unique in, in the business 
at how we're truly unique across an industry, but also how we articulate that value because we're all so very good at advocating for others and at PRing others um, when it comes to getting promotions and getting, you know, tasks done and new projects. But often the gap that I see in my practice is we, you know, we don't have that ability when it comes to ourselves. So I really love people to examine how am I truly unique, you know, um, in myself and how would I describe that in a, in a candid conversational way when I'm talking to people because it's really important for us all to set that intention with people around us because if someone's going to be advocating for us when we are not in the room, then what do we want that to sound like? What do we want people saying about us when we're not in the room? Exactly. And uh, I also loved your background as a journalist really came through and it was really, uh, it was so insightful and there's so many tips about being trained as a journalist. I've worked in media but not as a journalist but I've worked with some amazing journalists and have learnt a lot through them And, and it was really nice for you to actually share that experience firsthand and then apply that to business life and one in another uh, area that I really liked was silence and pauses are like white space <laughs> in design that was brilliant yeah. <laughs> well you know I think our use of language I mean to speak with authority and to communicate with impact means understanding our vocal techniques our use of language and our body language and when it comes to use of language it's very easy to downplay our expertise before we even get onto the content in a conversation. So we need to figure out, well, what are the words that we're using, those tentative expressions and those self-diminishing qualifiers that, that, that undermine our authority in that moment? And as you just mentioned, you know, those are words that are as simple as, you know, just, you know, I'm just here because of this. And it's also about understanding how powerful silence is and how when we embrace silence and pause, we can draw more attention to a subject or an initiative or a pitch that we want to get across the line. Yeah, if you look at the great entertainers in the history of the world, Mm -hmm. they understand that. If they're Mm -hmm. in a a stadium, in an arena, and wanting to have all, you know, 100,000 people eating out of their hands, they know exactly how to manage that. And that's business people... We all have to speak at some point, whether it's speaking in front of a team, whether it's speaking at a seminar or conference, pitching for business. There's so many ways that we can do that. So understanding those techniques can be a real game changer, can't it? Oh, completely. This is about having presence. And part of having presence is understanding that you can have more influence when you, you know, by staying silent and by only speaking up when it's relevant. If, if, say, for example, you're around a boardroom table. But to draw attention and to command presence, you know, means being comfortable in that space and being and it means being comfortable with the content. So in many in many um, contexts, that means knowing when to pause for a few seconds, you know, knowing when to wait for an audience to settle down before you open a keynote. And it means just understanding, reading the room and making sure that you're signalling that natural composure. Mm, Yeah, and I also liked your not learning is the new stupid. Well, I I have being busy is the Mm. new stupid, but I sort of think it's a sort of very similar thing. Well, you know, you're obviously a dedicated continuous learner, Jackie, and I think it's a great, it is the most valuable uh, you know, skill that we will all need in the future of work. When the World Economic Forum says that we'll need 25 days a year of continuous learning just to keep up with what's going on, 
I think they've got a very valid point. Even if we allocate three or four days a quarter to our own development, that is going to be time extremely well spent. So I'd like to ask your audience how much time they've dedicated to their own continuous learning in the next 12 months. And, and could you consider, might you consider allocating and blocking a couple of full days for your own sort of upskilling? I think it's an incredibly important part of being relevant and retraining and modifying our skills you know, to be aligned with a workplace that's taking on and adapting technology at a different pace. Yeah, I think that's going to be the difference between those that succeed and don't. Yeah, and I agree. sadly, it's sort of a paradox in a way where small business owners or entrepreneurs, I haven't got time to do that. No, they say it, a day, it doesn't make any sense, does it? No, and I'm constantly hearing that. I'm constantly also investing a lot of my own time in my own continuous learning. And yes, it's time consuming. And yes, it can be, it can be costly depending on what you decide to invest in. But there is always a payoff, always an upside to investing in yourselves. And I and I feel like those people who who ignore it do it at their own at their own risk. And I think that, you know, that that consequence may not be obvious immediately, but it will it, you know, it will handicap people in the next couple of years. Yeah, there's some good shortcuts you can do that. Like hang out with people yeah. not like you, you know. Um, just yeah, Definitely. just put yourself yeah. in situations where they're not going to think the same as you and then listen to what they say and, and, and oh. li- listen to podcasts while you're driving. I mean, there's lots of, lots of things you could do. That's right. That is all, for me, all of that's upskilling, all of that's continuous learning, whether it's a 30-minute podcast or showing up to a conference for two hours. There are, there are absolutely there are many, many ways to, to upgrade your own mindset. So take advantage of all of them that are around you and take it seriously. Yeah. Now, just to finish off, there was another part of the book that I have to mention. I thought, do I say it or not? But I just loved it. And it was about the story about Namaste. Was was that you doing yoga or was that a friend? I couldn't remember now. Um, Do you remember that? Blanking, I'm blanking on okay, that. Okay, no, it, um, I, I haven't yeah. given you many clues. So I think oh. it was either you or a friend was doing yoga <laughs> and they kept for the first time and they kept hearing namaste and they thought that the instructor was saying no mistakes. <laughs> oh, that was, um, yeah, I think I was probably referring to myself and a couple of girlfriends. We all had this conversation because I'm more of a Pilates person than a yoga person. I kind of feel like you're one or the other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 you know, I really enjoyed writing about my own experiences through this. And I tried to pepper them occasionally to give, you know, to give the book a bit of colour and a bit of movement. So, you know, I'm glad that you picked up on those, those you know, those sort of personal narratives that I think tie in everything. Well, I just thought it was lovely, but I loved the optimism that you thought Namaste said no mistakes, and you thought, oh, what a lovely thing to say at the end of yeah. at the end of a session. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. so, you know what? Exactly. It's, I can now never listen to someone say Namaste and not think of no yeah. mistakes. So, no thank mistakes. you for putting oh. a lovely positive thought in my mind. I uh, oh. really enjoyed it, Andrea Clark. It was a delight. Future Fit: How to Stay Relevant and Competitive in the Future of Work. Um, I highly recommend it. I don't highly recommend a lot of books and I really highly recommend this. Well, I think also it helps the fact that you're a journalist, so it was well written. I mean, I did notice a difference and that's no disrespect to business owners because writing a book's really tough, uh, really, really tough. So I don't take that away from them. But look, I really enjoyed it. Congratulations. I wish you continued success. Thank you so much. It was 
It was such a wonderful project to work on and I'm so happy to hear your feedback. It means a lot, Jackie. Thank you so much for having me. That's a pleasure. I look forward to our next encounter. You're listening to the best brains in the business world. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back. Our next guest is a sought-after performance coach, speaker, podcast host and author. He's a serial entrepreneur having built and sold three businesses. He's also been a physical performance manager for the Australian cricket team and a number of other sports including netball, basketball, AFL, tennis and Olympic athletes so that certainly sparked my interest there. I'd like to welcome to the program Andrew May. Jackie, hello. It's back in my bio now. The Australian cricket team won the most recent Ashes. Yeah, that's uh, so it. Absolutely. I'm proud to uh, claim the acknowledgement. I think up until the dry run we've had in recent times, it was off the bio, but all is looking good for Aussie cricket again now. Yeah, absolutely. Now, talking about sport, you started your career as a quite a successful athlete yourself as a middle distance runner. Is that right? Yeah, I was a middle distance runner. My uh, coach uh, ended up heading up the Tasmanian Institute of Sport in uh, Hobart, Tasmania. So we all went down there and followed him. And like most athletes in the 90s, I had uh, an aspiration to go to Sydney 2000 Olympics. I didn't, um, but I learned a lot from running and about physiology, which I I didn't even realise at the time, but that helped me unlock a whole new world, working with executives, working with corporates, working with entire companies, to help them with their bodies, but which ultimately help them also with their brain. Yeah, well, it starts with the brain, doesn't it, and the body second. I think maybe we've been a little bit uh, upside down with focusing on the body first and then the brain. And I think if you can actually, the, the brain's the computer of our body and it controls so much and we don't understand it enough. So I was really pleased to, to see you focus on that. But just on sport, Andrew, one of my... Uh, areas of, of interest and, I've, and those that listen to this program regularly know that I bang on about it but I started my career in, in sport, in tennis and, uh, and I've always said that uh, sport can teach business so much more and there seems this huge disconnect between the two and I was so, so pleased uh, in reading your book and uh, reading about your background that you've actually married the two quite well. So just quickly, what can sport teach business owners and entrepreneurs? Look, I'm happy to bang on with you any day. Great. Sport, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's talk about what it can teach and then quickly what it can't teach. Mm. We'll start with the reverse. When you get the athlete, the footballer, who stands up in front of the audience and says, look, I kicked the winning goal and that's how you perform here in business. Audiences are and should be very sceptical. Or, you know, I won an Olympic gold medal athlete says in the pool and I'm going to teach you how to do business. That, that's not really what we teach because some athletes are so good they have this unconscious competence. They don't know what they know. But focusing on what sport can teach businesses, uh, look, I just look at my kids now and they're, playing sport and I think it's not about the sport it's the life skills it's communication it's teamwork it's setting a goal and actually working towards something and, and even if you don't achieve it it's reassessing that goal and striving to continue to compete so look I, like you Jackie coming from a background in sport I just think it's such a good entree into to life skills and we see a lot of people now who don't have those skills come into the workforce they've maybe grown up with an iPad or you know gaming and they've got wonderful skills around technology and computer programming, but they don't know how to work with people. But I think sport fundamentally teaches you how to get on with other people, but also healthy conflict. Like when I was in AFL, 
it's, it's openly known that every year... 15% of your roster is cut, meaning you move on, transition to 15% of your roster. So it's pretty ruthless. Mm. Um, in Aussie rules now in rugby league at the professional level, if a coach has four or five losses on the trot, there's a board meeting and they say, you know, are we going to allow this guy or this girl to keep her job? Um, so it's pretty ruthless. And I think sport just teaches a lot of resilience and, and teaches people to perform in pressure. Andrew May, thanks so much for your precious time and I look forward to our next encounter. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back. Our next guest is a best-selling author, speaker and award-winning entrepreneur dedicated to helping women rise. She's a sought-after media commentator and uh, author, as I said, of two best-selling books, Getting Real About Having It All and Lead Like a Woman. I have great delight in welcoming Megan Della Camina. Hi, Megan. Hey, Jackie, how are you? Good, thank you. Thank you for asking. Now, your new book, Simple, Soulful, Sacred, and I've noticed now, I'm obviously chatting with you on a business show, that your book is getting quite a bit of traction in the business sector. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it's been really interesting. Mm. Um, Look, I mean, the the book is very broad, uh, and it's really looking at how we're redefining womanhood and success and how we show up. And I think a lot of that work is translating a lot of those themes and messages are translating into how we do business, how we show up as leaders, how we show up as business owners. So, yeah, like it's getting a lot of interest and discussion, which I'm I'm so happy with. Yeah, now you, your, your area, you focus a lot on women in leadership, uh, but I did notice at the beginning of the book, which I, I really liked, it said everyone is welcome here, while the terminology used throughout the book is biological slash gender-based, women, w- woman, she, her, they, please know that everyone is welcome here. Uh, and I thought that, that was really great because even if you're not a woman reading this, there is so much in there that still resonates, but a lot of men are working with women. So uh, it sort of makes sense to, to cross that, that divide, I suppose. Yeah, look, I wanted it to be really inclusive. So I know that, you know, the core of my work is for, is for women, um, but I see a lot of men and all genders in, you know, in my work, in my leadership programs, in my business coaching and, yeah, like I just, everyone gets to be part of this conversation and redefine, you know, what their life looks like, what their success looks like and how they show up. Yeah. Now, do you think being busy is the new stupid? <laughs> oh, I love that. I haven't heard that before. Um Look, I, yeah, look, we need to really move away from this culture of the glorification of busy, you know, of wearing busy as, as your badge of honour mm. and worthiness. And I wouldn't necessarily call it stupid. I think it's how we've been programmed, but it's time that we find other definitions for success, that we find other terms to describe how we are, you know, the first thing everyone always says when you know when you ask how are you, they say I'm busy. Surely there's a better and more thoughtful and intentional um, response for how we're living our lives. Yeah, I think awareness is a big key of it. And I noticed uh, with your book, it says here it was written with the time poor reader in mind. Is and that's what, that's what got me thinking about you know, busy, and I, uh, one of my mantras, I have mantras every year, and one of them uh, this year for 2019 was when someone asked if I'm busy, because I always look much busier than I actually am, 
And, uh, and everyone, oh, you look so busy, you look so busy. And I thought, no, you know what, I'm going to tell people I'm not busy. And yeah. so I've been doing that all year and the reaction has been priceless. It's been highly entertaining as well as opening up the conversation, you know, because yeah. people get such a shock at the reaction. And I think, I think that's something to be a bit more conscious of. Uh, I completely agree with you. And I do the same thing because people always say to me, oh, my God, you're so busy, you run all these businesses and you write all these books and... And I always say to them, similar to you, I say, actually, I'm as busy as I want to be and I have a lot of space and I have great boundaries. Mm. So I'm actually not as busy as you think I am, very intentionally. And it does really make people pause and think about, you know, their observations, their projections and their own level of busyness. So, yeah, I think it's great that you do that. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, for the small, for the, for the small amount that it affects, it's, I suppose it's better than nothing. Now, I was really curious in your book as I was enjoying reading it and there's a couple of things that stood out to me. One of them was when you were doing your PhD and you were meeting with your a supervisor and the supervisor asked you a, an interesting question. It was quite a defining moment. Can you quickly just share that story? Yeah, so I started my PhD after doing two master's degrees and I just thought it was the next logical step. Um, and I kept going back and forth on my dissertation with my professor who was in the US and I was sitting down with her one day going over like my fourth iteration of my dissertation and she said, look, this is really good. It's a good dissertation. You'll do good research. But she just looked me square in the eye and she said, why are you doing this? And I was really taken aback because, you know, she said, you're a successful author. You're here in the U.S. doing speaking engagements. Like, you don't actually need a PhD. Why are you doing it? She said, what I actually think you want to do is write more books, so why don't you just go and do that? And it was a really defining moment um, of having that sort of intentionality that I try and run my whole life by and it was like one of the last pieces so yeah I walked away from my PhD pretty much that day and it was such a good decision. Yeah it was interesting the insight that you did was about that you realised you were doing the PhD to be validated and that resonated with me that word validation it's a Mm. word not used often enough but I think it's so powerful. Yeah look it really is and we spend so much of our time all of us, but particularly as women, I think, um, going through those motions of what we think success looks like so that we can fit in and so that we can be, in inverted commas, successful. But often that version of success isn't ours. It's not ours. It's society's or it's our families. And we do do things to get that external validation rather than doing things that intrinsically align with us and feel like they are on purpose. Yeah, it's it's deep thought, and I love we I love deep thought. I don't think there's enough of that because we're moving <laughs> so quickly and so fast now that yeah. anything that has a bit of depth in thinking to it is always so attractive. Uh, and the other thing too, Megan, I, and in prep for today and uh, and researching you, the other thing I found interesting was I thought, how do you introduce yourself at a barbecue? <laughs> It's a very good question. It's a very good question. I usually say um, I'm a writer, I'm a coach, and I'm an entrepreneur. Like that, you know, usually is enough to get some conversation going. Yeah, I suppose it also 
depends on who's asking. But I did notice, because you describe yourself sometimes as a business strategist, uh, but I also noticed that you also had aspirations to be an actress. Yeah, like the first 20 years of my life, I grew up as an actress, a dancer, a singer, um, a tortured teenage songwriter, you know, until I was in my early 20s. You know, I even went to performing arts college after high school. So that was, I thought that that was my path. But it was never a thought that I was going to do anything else. And it just didn't turn out that way. And I imagine a number of those skills you learned have been handy in, uh, in what you're doing now. Yeah, well, like the communication and the creativity are right at the heart of everything that I do. So it served me, I always say to my parents, you know, all of the money that you spent on drama <laughs> school and elocution lessons that was a thing in the 80s yeah. didn't go to waste because I do use all of it, yeah. Yeah, now in your book, Simple, Soulful, Sacred, A Woman's Guide to Clarity, Comfort and Coming Home to Herself, uh, another area of interest of mine is the concept of trust. Uh, and you talk about everything depends on how much you trust. And I just wanted to have a quick chat with you on some key elements to the importance of trust. And it's like it's the, it's the I suppose, the, the big reward, but it's also uh, the, the golden chalice that everyone's constantly searching for. And it's overused at, time, at times as well. It's such a fascinating concept. Can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your thoughts on that? Yes, yeah, so I I believe that one of the keys for all of us to be whatever whatever it is that you're searching for, you know, happy, well, thriving, is to number one learn to trust yourself. We spend so much of our time scurrying around and chasing things um, for that validation that we spoke about earlier, or for success. Um, or for these external goals, and we don't listen enough to our own inner guidance. We don't get quiet enough to hear it, and then once we do hear it, we often don't trust that we know what is best for us. And you only have to think about how many times you ask other people's opinions about what you should do next, mm. which every, you know every, nearly everybody does, to see how little trust we have of ourselves, of our own judgment, of our own opinions of our own guidance. So for me, trust really starts there. And then, you know, we get to trust life. We get to trust the process. We get to trust the journey that we're on um, and stop racing through to get to an outcome. So, yeah, that self-trust is absolutely number one yeah. in my book. And again, it's linked to validation again, which is really fascinating. Uh, dealing with women, it's been, uh, particularly women in business, and I have a, quite a bit to do in that space, suffer it or admit to suffering a bit syndrome, and women tend to suffer it or admit to suffering a bit more than, than men do. Have you had any experience in that field? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, through decades of research that I've done in the, in the women's space, in the gender space, and in all my coaching and, and women's work, uh, imposter syndrome really sits at the heart of so many challenges. And it's really the inability to internalize our achievements. Mm. And we see that so often, and you may have experienced it, I've experienced it, where you have a big success and then three seconds later you're on to the next thing. And then you're on to the next thing and you're on to the next thing. And we don't stop and pause to say, 
hey, I just did that amazing thing. How do I um, acknowledge that, savour the success of that, and then embody what that means for me? Mm. Because when we can do that, we don't fall into this category of feeling like an imposter um, because we haven't gone through that process. So, yeah, like this is huge. I was just coaching a group of women before this interview um, on exactly that thing. So, yeah, it's everywhere. It is everywhere and I think we need to talk a bit more about it. Megan, just to finish off, is there a particular philosophy or a pearl of wisdom that you'd like to share with a up-and-coming entrepreneur listening now? Um, up-and-coming entrepreneurs, I was going to get really clear on what you are trying to build, why you are building it and who you are here to serve. If you can get really clear on those three questions, um, and those answers for yourself and stay in alignment with that, then you're going to be really successful and you'll be able to have the grit to keep going in your business when it gets tough because it always does. It does. Grit and gumption. I like the two yeah. G words. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Megan Della Camina, thank you so much for your time today, sharing your insights. Your new book, Simple, Soulful, Sacred is a great read and anyone interested to find a bit more about you and your ideas, they can find you on your website, megandellacamina.com, your Facebook page, you're on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, you're everywhere. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jackie. Such a great conversation. Yeah, really enjoyed it. To continue the conversation, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. Our next guest is a global thought leader on authentic leadership and storytelling and real communication. I like it. She works with high-profile leaders from around the globe, helping them become better leaders and communicators using the art of storytelling. She is a best-selling author of Ignite Real Leadership, Real Talk, Real Results. We've got her in real lifetime, the real person here, Gabrielle Dolan. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be part of it. Lots of reels in there. Lots of reels. In, and, and that's a real thing at the moment, isn't it? Uh, that authenticity. Everyone's Absolutely. craving it. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about um, authentic leadership, um, talking in a way that's more real and genuine, you know, people being leaders, being approachable and human. So it's, it's a real thing at the moment. Yeah, I think uh, we're just wanting people to be truthful and I think as consumers particularly we're really struggling with trying to make our way through the quagmire of BS I think. What, what, yeah. what's, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, there actually is, there's a lot of research done that we are actually in a, a decline of trust. So it, it, there is mm. a where, like you said, that there, there just seems to be a lot of BS going on. Mm. The whole concept of alternative facts and fake news, I mean, we didn't even speak about that two years ago. So this this whole thing of we actually don't know who to trust and what to trust. So we're, we're, in an, we're in an environment of natural distrust. And so whatever business you're in, you've got to realise that that's the environment you're actually operating in and people are just craving and looking and wanting to, you know, hear people talk and actually believe in them and trust them. And, you, and you, you've got to do that by being authentic and being real, not marketing spin. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you make. Do you think we've become used to distrust? 
Yeah, I think we have become used to distrust. Mm. I think um, when you even look at, uh, well, if you look at the political environment around the world, the mm. likes of Trump and, you know, just even in our own, you know, campaign, our, our federal election campaign, we sort of know that half the things they're saying are lies and aren't true, but we just, we sort of do this thing, well, they're politicians, so of course they're going to say that. Or, you know, they're running a business and they're saying it. It's almost we just expect people to be lying, but it's, um, you know, I think businesses have to realise that people are seeing that as lying and it really affects trust and, you know, trust is critical when it comes to business. Yeah, so where is leadership heading based on that? Look, I think a lot of the really smart leaders are realising that this lack of trust is an issue mm. and for them to start to rebuild trust you know, they, I mean, we do talk about authentic leadership, but, like, what does that mean? So I think what they're realising is that they have to be prepared to admit where they've gone wrong and genuinely admit that with genuine apologies, not like um, what I refer to as the plastic apology, you know, when people go, if anyone was offended, I'm sorry they were offended, <laughs> as opposed to saying, I'm sorry I offended you. Mm. Um, so there's this... There's this you know, they've, they've got to admit uh, what they've worked wrong in the past, but they've also got to talk in a way that people understand. And, you know, um, I, I talk about, like, the consequences of using jargon and acronyms, which seem to be the default way of language that we talk... When we talk this way in business, we actually disconnect and isolate people and actually add to the distrust. So I think... Um, Leaders are realising they've got to speak in a way that's really genuine and that people engage and connect with and not, not jargon and acronyms, which we don't. Yeah, look, that jargon and acronym, and uh, I totally agree with you. And I know when I am speaking in a meeting or anything, and it's one of my um, introduction points that I say, look, if I... If I do speak any jargon, please pull me up and ask me because I'm not doing it intentionally. But sometimes it's so habitual that you just say it and absolutely without fail, someone will say to me, Jackie, what does SME stand for? Or what does that stand for? Or what? And I'm so sorry, you're right. But it's yeah. giving them permission because most people are not comfortable or think they're being rude if they're asking you that or they might feel a bit stupid if they don't know because you're assuming knowledge. So yeah. uh, it's, it's, a, it's an enormous trap to fall into. Now, in your latest book called Real Communication, How to Be You and Lead True, which I love the title of it, you talk about this broken trust and trust is always an area that I'm really fascinated about and you talk about how it, how it can be hard to rebuild because once you lose trust and it's broken, it's really hard to rebuild. Is it impossible to rebuild or can you rebuild it? Look, I don't think it's impossible. Well, maybe in some instances it's impossible. I mean, we even know this, you know, in our personal relationships. If someone has deliberately betrayed our trust, it's either impossible to rebuild or it takes a long time. But what we do know, it takes a long time to rebuild trust. So, um, again, when it, when it comes to business, it's, it's critical that, you, first of all, you, you don't break that trust mm. because it takes a long time to do it. And, we've, I mean, we've seen, we've seen this in the Royal Commissions and with the banking industry that, you know, the banking industry have got a lot of work ahead of them to rebuild, rebuild the trust that, you know, they had a generation ago and they've, um, they've destroyed it.
Yeah, okay. So now this is your second book, Gabrielle, is that right? This is actually my fifth book. Oh, your fifth book. book. Under, under apologies. I did, there. apologies. <laughs> I, I only had one down here. So um, uh, your fifth book, wow, that's, that's incredible. You're a machine. What's your trick with writing books? Oh, <laughs> this is a good trick. I don't, I don't know. You just write. You just write. But um, I do. I, I um, it's not bad for someone. I actually failed my final year of English by one percent. So my English teacher would be as surprised as you are that I've actually written five <laughs> books. But um, I, I think it's um, you know, develop your thinking, put time aside to write, get really good editors around you that, that help you develop your ideas. Um, but if you've got something of value and um, you're passionate about it, which I was with Real Communication because I'm really passionate about helping the business leaders change from this default language of jargon and acronyms that, you know, disconnect and disengage to actually speaking in a way that's, that's real, that people get. Yeah, well, uh, I must uh, just go back earlier. I wasn't so much surprised as more impressed that you've written five books because <laughs> it's really tough and I don't think people talk enough about how hard it is to write a book, let alone five. So c congratulations on that. But this latest book, you actually use some case studies, which I think's really useful for people to try and understand through examples, you know, how does that relate to me or how would that work? Could you quickly describe, say, one case study that you've got in the book? Uh, well, maybe one of the case studies I talk about is actually the um, the Australian cricket team with the ball tampering scandal. Mm. And, like, if you want an example of how trust, when you when you lose trust, how, how um, not only how costly it can be so I do talk about you know at a, at a you know Cricket Australia level the sponsorships they lost but also at a personal level that um, Smith and Warner lost and how hard it is to rebuild it I mean for the first time now with the World Cup going on you've seen them booed constantly for everything they do and and I I just think that'll last their entire career so mm. you know I, I talk about stuff like that I, I have spoken to a lot of people around the globe and just Got, got some ideas about, you know, well, how do they lead more authentically and how do they communicate in a way that's real. Um, one, of, one of the case studies I love, I, I spoke to a woman who changed industries and she went to a new job and she got this 10-page document and the last page was all the acronyms that they used in the document and she found it really hard to read. So she actually got her team to rewrite the document not using acronyms but using all all the full words mm. which means they didn't need that back page and the document was 10 pages so it's like we're not saving any time or saving any space using acronyms we're actually just making when we don't use them we're actually making it easier for the um the listener or the you know the the reader to understand yeah, well, it's difficult for our brain to process an acronym unless you've got an existing memory of what that acronym is, like an well, IBM. Absolutely. So, and so you're putting all the onus onto the listener to do the interpretation yes. and you're also making an assumption that their definition of the acronym is the same as yours. And we talked about um, small to medium enterprise before, so SME. Mm. But SME, you know, 50% of the people will be thinking subject matter expert. And you can have a whole conversation about SMEs but be talking about completely different things. 
Yes, I remember um, someone using PLU once, which meant people like us, and someone thought that, that stood for price lookup, which apparently is something they use in retail. So this exactly, it is, it, and I love your point about it's putting so much more pressure on the receiver of the communication. So as a sender, we need to be a lot more aware of how communication is being received and less focused on what we're doing in the delivery of it, if that, if that sort of makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as, yeah. as as the communicator, mm. it's your job. It's your job to help them get the message. It's actually not their job to get it. So, using this default language of jargon that we don't use, and using acronyms. I you research for the book. I found out that acronyms came into existence during the World War to actually make it harder for the enemy to understand what was being said. I mean, the word acronym only came into existence in 1943. So. We're using a default language in business that was invented to make it harder to understand the message, which just seems ridiculous, really. Yeah, so acronym is uh, another word for code. So we're making yes. it much more difficult. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Gabrielle, think, why would we do that? Yeah, why well, would we do that? It's ridiculous. I, look, I just think it's there's just a lack of awareness. Where, again, it's become a habit and it's about actually going, and let's bring this back to our conscious awareness and saying, okay, this is actually not great for communication. I love real communication, how to be you and lead true. Gabrielle Dolan, if anyone listening wants to find out more about you, your website is gabrieldolan.com. You're on Twitter, you're on LinkedIn and your book, can you can get anywhere books are sold, I'm assuming? Yeah, any online or in bookstores, uh, any, anywhere it is. Wonderful. Well, I wish you continued success and uh, thank you very much for your precious time today. Thank you. Good to be part of it. That's the end of another stimulating show. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation, picked up some tips, learned something new or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you've missed a lot, but the podcast will be available on my social media, Jackie Mitchell. Thank you to our worldly and thought-provoking guests. We look forward to your company next Friday. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business mindset.